Wow, wow, Todd. Round of applause for Todd. Yeah. Yeah, well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to first service here. It's great to be with you. It's great to be with you in the presence of God and in the celebration of, of these baptisms. Um, you know, you really need to pray for me this week. My, my wife left for the week to go take care of her mom. So if I'm wearing exactly the same clothes, next time you see me, you'll understand what's going on in my world. Uh, but yeah, it's good to be with you this morning and good to celebrate. And you know, it, it, church, let, let us remember that every single person who will be baptized this morning, who was baptized this morning, they came to that moment because a lot of other people played roles in their lives. You know, the scripture says, one man plants a seed, another man waters a seed, God makes it grow. And, you know, we, sometimes we look around our lives and we wonder if we're making any difference. <laughs> but rest assured that the Holy Spirit uses every act of obedience, every moment of faithfulness, every prayer, every time of serving. He uses all that. And all of us could tell stories about the people who helped us come to the place of receiving Jesus as our Savior, and, and, uh, and we're playing those parts now. So don't, don't think that you're not part of that. Um, God sees what is done in secret. Even more, he uses what is done in secret. So good stuff. You know, I got to talk to every person who will be baptized this morning, all the adults, and, and they just shared some of those stories of the others who've made such a difference and of the churches who've made a difference. So hallelujah, good stuff. We celebrate it. I don't have any announcements this morning. Somebody say amen. Is that like good? Yeah. Um, and actually, my message is going to be a little bit shorter this morning, and that everybody's smiling about that as well. Um, then then I, I need to take the last 10 minutes that we have together to just share with you something personal that's coming up this summer. So gosh, I just lay that out there. Now you won't be able to drift off because you'll be waiting to hear uh, what I'm going to say. But, but let's take about 20 minutes here and let's, let's continue our journey through Romans. We're in Romans chapter 14. We've been in Romans ever since January. We'll be finishing up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're journeying all the way through Romans together because remember, we've reminded ourselves each week that it is God's plan in our lives to grow us to the place where we receive his word on its own terms. What that means is we come and listen to God even before we know what we need to hear, even before we know what we need to pray about or ask for. Uh, you know, every parent wants their child to listen more than they speak because the parent, out of their love, has gifts and blessings to bestow. And it's the same with God. And, and when we're young in our faith, you know, we kind of go through life and then we run to the Bible kind of like a reference. But God wants to grow us to the place where we let him teach us his word in its own context. And so we've given ourselves these whole almost six months now to, uh, to Romans. We're in chapter 14 this morning. And, and let me begin by asking you this. Do you have any quirky characters in your family? <laughs> any goofy uncles or cousins? Anybody who reminds you of this guy? I think we have a slide we're going to throw up there. Anybody like this guy? Or maybe we don't. A crazy <laughs> uncle, right? You know? Raise your hand if you are that person sometimes, right? I, I, I mean, sometimes, right? You heard about the crazy uncle who named his dogs Rolex and Timex. When his family asked why, he said, they're my watchdogs. You heard about that, right? There it is. 
But everybody is a little goofy sometimes. You know, one of my favorite books that I read, and it's about church, it's about being believers together, and the book is called Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, that's real. And this morning, God wants to talk to us about that reality. We all have our quirks and our oddities, and the question God asks is, are you willing to overlook those sometimes? What are you choosing to see about your fellow believer? The Bible puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. God says, above all, love each other deeply. Catch this. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. And sometimes not just sins, although that's, that's a real thing. But sometimes love just covers over differences, quirks, disagreements different ways of seeing things. The, the fundamental nature of the Holy Spirit is that he empowers us to overlook those things for a very specific reason. And it's that idea that's on the apostle's heart here in Romans chapter 14. Listen to what he says beginning with verse 1. The Bible says to you and me, accept him whose faith is weak. What does that mean? Weak faith, we'll explore that in a minute. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith, and then Paul uses an illustration very contemporary to the time. I'll explain it in a moment. He says one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. If you're eating only vegetables, you have weak faith. Can I just make that pronouncement to you right now? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who doesn't. And the man who doesn't eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. In other words, make space for there to be differences, not just among people in general, although that's true, but among believers. I wonder how narrow your definition of a Christian is. God's is broad. God's definition of who is one of his children rests really on one thing, and that is faith. That is believing in his son. And so the scripture says, accept him whose faith might be different than yours, might have different emphases, might have different practices, might have different expressions, Accept him whose faith is weak. And then he, he kind of flips it and he says, if you're a person whose faith is weak, and by the way, weak means tender, sensitive, uh, a touchy kind of conscience, very conscientious is the idea. It doesn't, weak doesn't mean lesser, it means tender. Accept him whose faith is weak. And then those of you whose faith is weak, those of us, accept him whose faith is strong. If you've got a brother or a sister who, who maybe is less sensitive or tender than you are about some things. Accept them, embrace them. And by the way, I'd encourage you to, to, to circle that word accept. It doesn't just mean tolerate. <laughs> it means to embrace, to own, to include, accept one another. Who, who was it that accepted you in life in such a way that you, you feel it to this moment? We all, we all have people like that. 
For me, you've heard me say before, it was my grandfather on my, on my biological father's side. He stayed in my life, even though my biological father was gone from the very early days. But grandpa was just so important because I knew he wanted me. I knew he accepted me. I knew he embraced me, made it so very clear. God says, be like that for each other, especially as believers, especially as fellow Christians. Now, he uses an illustration. He talks about a guy who eats everything, a guy who doesn't personally eat only vegetables. What's the context of that? If you're unfamiliar, let me take just a moment and unpack that. In those days when meat was slaughtered, it was commonly, not always, but almost always, first taken to a temple and dedicated, sort of a, a thanksgiving by the person saying, the God, God or the gods provided me this meat and I want to thank them for doing that. And so a portion of the meat would be given to the priest. And then the rest of the meat, which had been dedicated, some of it would go to the marketplace to be sold. So if you were a rancher in those days, this would be your habit. You take your herd, you go to the temple, you make an offering, a sacrifice, and then you finish the slaughter and you immediately take all that meat to the marketplace. Well, for those with a tender conscience, that could become a real issue, and it did in those days. Matter of fact, you'll see this throughout your New Testament as the early church wrestled with this reality because some people would say, hey, that meat was sacrificed to a false god, to a not real religion. And so, as good followers of the one true God, we should abstain from it. We shouldn't eat that meat. And it's easy for you and I, even this far removed from that reality, it's easy for us to understand it. Yeah, we don't want to send the wrong message. We want to be careful about the, the communication that comes from our lives. And so... Many people would say, hey, you know what, I'm just not going to eat meat in the marketplace. And if I can't be sure that it was not offered at the temple of a false god, then I'm just going to only have vegetables. I'm just going to be a vegetarian for that meal, for that day, for that event. And, and, and they, they would hearken back to the story of the Israelites in exile. We read about in Daniel where, where the young men, uh, young Israelite men did exactly that. They said, you know what, we're just going to eat only vegetables to prove that our God is the one true God. And so some people say we should still be doing that. But then other people came along and said, you know what? As we've learned the gospel, as we've heard Jesus, as we've learned from the apostles, we now know and understand that all of those false gods are just lies. <laughs> They're like commercials in the first century. That's how I like to think of them, just commercials. It's a big pack of lies. This car will not satisfy your soul. <laughs> You know, and, and so they said, hey, we've come to understand that there's really only one God. There always has been just one. And that all these lies, all these deceptions are, are, are nothing. And so as a consequence, they said, it doesn't matter if we eat the meat because there's no harm in that. Our freedom in Christ allows us to just eat whatever's set before us. And so as a consequence of these two views, if you can picture it, this creates some friction. This creates some tension. Some believers would say, oh, if you're eating that meat, you're out of line. And other believers would say, if you're having a cow about this, you're out of line. See what I did there? Yeah, you see that, right? Yeah, you're with me. If you're having a problem with this, you're out of line. And there came to be this tension. Friends, the same kind of thing happens to this day. We say, well, if you don't hold this particular political view, you must not be a Christian. 
We say if you don't hold this particular economic view, you must not be a Christian. We, we say if you don't hold this particular view of family, you must not be a Christian. If you don't hold this particular view of work, you must not be a Christian. And there's this tension there. And, and it even gets more specific. Some today will say you should never partake in A or B or C, certain activities in our culture. And others will say, you know what, it, it doesn't matter because the gospel's bigger than that. It's more true than that. And, and so this tension exists to this very day. I remember when I was a young believer, I would read this stuff in my Bible about food and who's eating what. And I would think, what's this got to do with anything? But as I've grown, I've come to understand that it has to do with everything. Because this tendency is always among us, this inclination to judge one another. Paul says, Christians don't do that. You see, we start to do that. Here's the thing, gang. We start to do that when we forget, catch this, that every one of us is in the process of growing up in God. And some of us are, are way towards the beginning of that process. <laughs> We're just early in that process. You know, when I first started coming to church, 20 years old as a young man, complete unchurched background, I was way behind, even though I was older than a lot. Remember listening to the kids in children's church talk about all these biblical characters? I didn't know any of them. thought, I'm not even a kindergartner. But, but I started growing. I started growing. And now, after all these years, there's so much more that I know and understand. But what I've learned is that the challenge then is to make space and time and room for those others to learn those things. You know, when I first walked into church, there were a lot of people who looked at me and said, oh my goodness, has that young man got a lot to learn? They're still saying it, <laughs> you know. But they understood that because I believed, because I was there, I was one of them. And they accepted me and they pulled me in. We we're forever grateful for a couple of middle-aged families. They were middle-aged then who just said, you know what, we're going to bring these 20-somethings into our lives. We're going to bring them to our house. We're going to help them. And sometimes that meant contradicting us, and sometimes that meant affirming us. But it's a beautiful thing. Paul says, as, as, as people of Jesus, do this with each other. Don't pass judgment on disputable matters. Now, notice what he says, disputable matters. There are matters which are indisputable. And, and these things we don't just wink at. We don't just overlook. Indisputable matters are matters of sin. Think Ten Commandments stuff. That stuff's not negotiable. And sometimes it means we have to say hard and difficult and challenging things to each other in order to help each other. That's what friends do. Proverbs says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. An enemy multiplies kisses. So when it comes to indisputable matters, what the apostle is talking about here doesn't apply. When it comes to Ten Commandments stuff, there's no negotiating. Hate is wrong. Dishonoring your parents is always wrong. Sexual immorality is always wrong. Taking God's name in vain is always wrong. Stealing is wrong. Racism is wrong. Bearing false witness is wrong. Murder, defined by Jesus as not just the physical act, but, but angry words is wrong. Ignoring God's call to Sabbath, to building a, a one day in seven worship is wrong. Th those are not disputable matters. And the apostle is not talking about those things in this moment. But there's a ton of other stuff. And all of that, we are to leave space for Let me ask again, how narrow is your definition of Christian? God's definition is broad. Anyone who chooses to believe in his son as her savior is a believer, is one of us. Doesn't mean we don't have a lot to learn. 
but it does mean we're one of us. Young people, you're going to be told over and over in your life that sin is okay and invited to apply passages like this one to sin. That's how the devil works, by quoting the Bible out of context. And that's not what the apostle is saying here. But when it comes to all that other stuff, this is what he's saying. There are such things as disputable matters. Verses 5 and 6, the apostle says, One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Catch this. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, we can have different forms of reverence and from God's perspective, they're all good and they all matter. Each of us can approach our reverence in different ways. And, and, and you see this when you travel around the world and go to different cultures. You know, in, in our culture, frankly, if somebody stood up and sang and danced in the middle of my sermon, we would the ushers would tackle them and there would be a thing, right? <laughs> they wouldn't really, I'm kidding. But, but I've been in places where that happens in the middle of the service and everybody goes, yes, it's good. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit, and they just roll with it. I've been in places where being quiet is reverent, places where being quiet is irreverent. And you get the idea. We go on and on about this. Paul says, leave that space for each other. He says in verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? In other words, here's, some, here's a grown-up statement, friends. In the Christian faith, some things can be right for one person and not right for another. That's real. We're not talking about sin. We're not talking about fundamental, disputable, or indisputable stuff. But a lot of things can be right for one person and wrong for another. I have to tell you that as an illustration of this, you know, when I was a new believer, um, one of the things that I was just totally obsessed with was going to the gym and working out. And sometimes I'd spend two hours a day, five days a week going to the gym. Well, I get saved, and God starts talking to me that there's more to life than going to the gym. And I'm like, yeah, but I kind of want to do that. I like doing that. And he said, no, Greg, you need to learn what matters most. There's nothing wrong with that. But you need to learn what matters most and what are the important things. And, and so at, in that journey, I came to a point where I, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I'm never going to work out on a Sunday. And to this day, I haven't. I don't. Now, you say to yourself, well, I should do that too. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's between me and God. That's me working out my walk with him. You should leave space for me to be able to do that, not insist that I go to the gym with you on Sunday. But at the same time, you're going to find that expression in a different place as you walk with the Lord, as he teaches you, as he parents you. And, and that's what the apostle is saying here. Give each other space to do that. Accept one another. Again, accept means much more than tolerate. God doesn't want me to just put up with them, but to embrace them. I love what Ian Sarks wrote. He said this. He said, love grows in the soil of differences accepted, not eliminated. Yeah, think that one through. I mean, if you have more than one child, you know that people can grow up in the same home and be totally different. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I mean, wow, right? You can even raise kids that are totally different than you. You know, I, I play sports all the time, very competitive, and brought my son with me as he was growing up. We'd go, he'd go to the gym with me, he'd go to the soccer field with me, he'd go to the basketball court with me, and I thought he was going to grow up and be competitive like me. And yet, when his soccer team won the state championship in Idaho and got to go meet the governor, I said, son, are you excited? He said, whatever. They didn't lose a game for a year, right? And then finally they lost a game. I was like, son, are you doing okay? He's like, yeah, whatever. It's just a game. 
I was like, who are you? You know, how did you come from my home? But that happens. That's real. And, and God says it's, it's that way in his family. So we're to make that space for each other. Let me challenge you again. How narrow is your definition of your brother, your sister? How small is that definition? Now, don't misunderstand. The apostle is not saying that there's no right answer to these various issues. That's important. There is a right answer. There is an ultimate truth about all these things. Over in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul writes, puts it this way, verses 4 to 7. He says, so then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, that there's no God but one. So there's the right answer, all right? That's why in the beginning of chapter 14, he refers to the strong and the weak. Uh, you know, the word strong has the connotation of, of more experienced, even more mature, and the weak, more sensitive. There's a right answer to the question, and the right answer is it doesn't matter if you eat the meat. But, Paul says, not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed, and since their conscience are weak or tender, it is defiled for them. But food doesn't bring us any nearer to God. We're no worse to God if we don't eat, no better if we do. But see, here's the thing, gang. We tend to assume that whoever has the right answer is righteous. But God says, no, once you get the right answer, then what you do with it is the real test. There's a difference, I love to put it this way, there's a difference between being right and being good. And the temptation is always to believe that right is good, but sometimes right is wrong because of the way we apply the right because we use it as a club, because we use it to prove our own superiority, because we use it to win an argument, because we use it to put someone else in their place, because we fail to... Now, again, this applies not to sin, but to disputable matters, not to that simple collection of rights and wrongs that God gives us on tablets of stone. I love what Chesterton says about those Ten Commandments. The reason the Ten Commandments are so short and simple is because God forbids so little and permits so much. What he's asking us is not a big deal. It's a few things. Imagine if the world lived according to the Ten Commandments. Oh, my goodness. But, but, but Paul says, once you get those rights and wrongs in other matters, in lesser matters, leave space and grace for everyone around you. So he goes on, verse 17 to 18, and he says this. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block in your brother's way. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of our fellowship, our community, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. In other words, God is less concerned about whether I'm right or wrong. He's more concerned over whether I accept my brother where they are at their point in their journey, at their point in their learning. This is a big Big deal. To put this another way, when you're right about something that your fellow believer is wrong about, remember that God still accepts him or her, and if you don't, then you're the most wrong of all. Wow. Because the people of God, the body of Christ, is not a collection of identical parts. It's a collection of parts who are different, but when fitted together, the whole is greater than the sum. That's the reality. So don't look around and say, well, that person's not like me, therefore they aren't we. No, no, no. God says that's exactly the point. 
at which we become we. We've got to understand this idea in order to become other-centered. Almost, almost done here this morning. Philip Yancey writes about his friend who's a pastor in India. And his pastor friend in India says this. He says, most of what happens in Christian churches, even including miracles, I see duplicated in Hindu or Muslim congregations all the time. He says, but the one area where Christians are different, radically different in that culture, is that we strive, however ineptly, to mix people of every caste, every ethnic background, every color, every age, every social group. And that is the real miracle. And that is why when you walk into a church in India, it looks different than everything else. Because in that place, there's this unity. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And God calls us to own that. Let me finish with a story. And then I have something special to share with you. Darren Beck and Don Norton became lifelong friends in three minutes flat. They were strangers when they boarded flight 1549 at LaGuardia Airport in New York City on January 14, 2009. But now they talk daily. They take family vacations together. They started a business together. All because of three minutes. What happened in those three minutes? Well, you may remember flight 1549. That's the one that uh, Sully landed successfully and saved everybody on board. Remember the water landing in New York City? And Don and Darren talk about the fact that they found themselves sitting next to one another when that happened. And as they went through that experience together, helping each other, helping those around them, getting off the plane, they bonded in a way that is forever. He says, now we share something that transcends everything. And the same thing happens, only more so, when anyone receives Jesus as their Savior. No matter what they haven't learned yet, no matter what they still need to learn, no matter how different they are from you and me, in that moment they become us. And Paul in Romans 14 is saying, accept them, pull them in, identify with them, make them yours. Because you share something, friends, you and I as believers, we share something that transcends everything. And that's our faith in our Savior. So, would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. And, and I'll ask you one last time as your brother, as your friend. Is your definition of who's your brother or sister? Is it too narrow? Have you added a bunch of other demands and requirements to the simple need to believe? Do you accept everyone who confesses Christ as their Savior, as your sister, as your brother? Notice I didn't say tolerate. Do you accept? God calls us to. For in doing so, we find him. We encounter him. We experience him. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Help us in this, in this polarized world that we live in, where everybody's taking sides about everything, to realize that your side transcends those things. And that when we stand with you, we are standing with a cause bigger, deeper, longer than anything and everything else. We pray for that. 
Give us hearts for one another in this way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I was going to go get the stool, but I'm not going to go get the stool. Can I take just a couple of minutes to share with you um, about something that's going to happen this summer that's unusual and different? Um, so this year in July and August, for the first time in my life as a pastor, I am going to take what's called a sabbatical. Uh, now, maybe you know what a sabbatical is, maybe you don't know what a sabbatical is. The tradition of sabbaticals goes back centuries, and in the assemblies of God, in many church denominations, most in fact, there's, a, there's kind of a policy that a pastor about every seven to ten years is supposed to take a sabbatical. And I've never done that because I never felt called to do that. I never felt like that was what God was saying to me. Um, so that's never happened to me before. But about a year ago, God started talking to me about this. And, and so I, I shared this with your board of deacons. And uh, they unanimously agreed to grant me the opportunity to take a sabbatical. So what does that mean practically? Well, let me get biblical with you for a second and then bring it back around to some nuts and bolts. You know, the Bible says, you know this, that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness on purpose. And he led him into the wilderness to be tested. You know, some translations render it tempted, but if you look at the Greek word, it doesn't mean like, uh, you know, tempted to do bad things. It means put through the pressure cooker, put under trial, tested and refined is the idea. And the Bible says that literally the Holy Spirit led Jesus into that experience. And he went out into the wilderness. You know the story. He's out there 40 days, didn't eat, prayed, was alone with God. And as a consequence, God met him out there. There were some battles. But the scripture says that when he came back, he came back, quote, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He came back having experienced something which changed him in a significant way. And that is what I feel that God has called me to. Um, what will this sabbatical look like? Well, on the 1st of July, I'll ride out of town with my bicycle and a tent by myself. And over those next eight weeks, I'm going to ride my bike down the coast from here to San Diego by myself. I'll be camping. I'll be throwing up my tent every night. And I, I, I'm really anxious and nervous about it. I've never been away from my wife for two months before. <laughs> my wife's never been away from me for two months before. Sometimes on a sabbatical, a pastor will go to school. I've done a ton of school. Sometimes I'll go to a conference or they'll do some writing. I've done that. I feel that what God wants is to get me alone in the wilderness so that he can talk to me, knock some sense into my head, and bring me back with a better perspective. I'm getting ready to turn 60. And I don't want to decline or fail to serve God's church to the best of my ability. So this is like a deep breath before the home stretch. I know a lot of people who have heard about this are like, you're going to get run over by a truck. And I'm like, well, you know, that's a good ending to this story, actually, because <laughs> I go to heaven if that happens. But hey, Ron and I have done lots of bike touring. We know how to do this. We've been there and done that. So, you know, yeah, I could get run over a truck as I drive home from the church today. So, you know, we're, we're just not very concerned about that. Um, 
But it's interesting that if there was ever somebody who didn't need to seek solitude in the wilderness in order to hear God, it was Jesus. And yet he did. In fact, the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 5 that he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That in fact, on the night before, chapter 6 of Luke, on the night before he chose the disciples, he went up by himself onto a mountainside, spent the whole night in prayer, and then came back and chose the twelve. Now, the way we think about prayer and the way we think about hearing God makes that kind of nonsensical a lot of the times. We say, well, why did it take all night? <laughs> why can't you just ask God, give it to you, boom, it's done, it's over? <laughs> Shows you what modern, hurried-up people we've become. But Jesus, nevertheless, sought those kinds of experiences in order to hear God deeply. That's what this is about for me. I haven't shared this with many because I keep hesitating. <laughs> Even last week, I was like, oh, come on, really? Am I going to do this? And am I going to be away from my wife that long? I'm pathetic. And, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me so strongly. He said, Greg, remember, this wasn't meant to be easy. I didn't lead Jesus into the desert to chillax. I, I led him into the desert to clear the decks so that he could hear me deeply. And, and that's what this is about for me. Uh, I'm quite sure this will be the only sabbatical that I ever take, but it'll start on the 1st of July, and I'll be back at the end of August, be back on Labor Day. Um, for those of you who want to, you can follow along on the Facebook page. I'll post little videos and stuff as I go, but it's just going to be me by myself. <laughs> well, me and God. A couple of nuts and bolts things. Church is going to go on like always. We've got a great staff some of them are going to be speaking this summer. We've got some missionaries coming to us, missionaries to Spain, missionary to Iran. Uh, Dr. Larry Malcolm, who is a missions pastor at Stone Church for many years, is going to be with us on one of those weekends. So church will go ahead. Our, our picnics, our, our, our uh, movie, family movie nights, all those things, camps, they're all going to happen. But in July and August, I'll be gone. Here, here's, here's what I want to ask from you. First of all, I just want to ask that you would pray for me during this time. Um, you know, I just want to be used up for God's church to the best of my ability. Um, and so I would ask your prayers. The second thing I would ask is that if you would maybe embrace each other, pull together, hold up the rest of the staff as I'm gone, be a we for these two months. Imagine how Jesus' disciples felt when he left them to go into the desert for 40 days. But when he came back, they were glad for it. And I would ask you, in your heart, if you would, like your board of deacons, to give me permission to do this so that when I come back, I can serve you well. It'll happen the 1st of July. I'll be back by Labor Day. Uh, the building expansion, all of that's going to go ahead. The development teams continue to work through that bidding process. Everything's going to move forward as normal. Can I just be human with you too, one last thing? Please don't say to yourself, well, pastor's gone. I'm checking out for July and August. <laughs> hey, it's never about me right? It's about us. It's about us. And, and I think God wants to make us more of a we during this time. So I would ask you to, to lift my arms in that way. And then when I come back, hopefully I'll have something useful to say when I get back. Feel free to ask questions. Prayer, uh, you can email me or you can grab me anytime you want. But um, thank you to your board of deacons for giving me this opportunity. Um, like I said, never done this before. Uh, 
pray for my wife. Um, we're having tears about this as we think about being apart for two months. But, but this life is about hearing God more than anything. Amen. And, and that's what this journey is about. So I hope I have your blessing as I go. Let's pray as we close service this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for these wonderful testimonies today. These baptisms that we'll celebrate all morning. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for so many people who have been patient and gracious with me, with us. To pray for me. To let me lead, God. To be gracious with my weaknesses. God, I thank you. And I pray that as we go from here today, it would be with a sense that we're in this together, God. With a sense that we have accepted one another simply because we believe in you. God, we offer our prayers that our unity might glorify you. And we pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? So unfortunately, you're not rid of me yet. It'll be a few weeks, but I'll head out on the 1st of July. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.